sounds like a broken record, but we certainly are blessed by our worship teams, aren't we? God bless them. Jansen just left. It's Jansen Morehouse's last week with us as he's going to Switzerland to study. So uh, it's going to be kind of a long travel for him to come here on Sunday. So we certainly wish him the best. Well, one day, Dr. Albert Einstein uh, was being driven by his chauffeur to uh, a lecture. It happened to be at a small college, kind of obscure, and the chauffeur had actually heard Einstein deliver the lecture probably 20 times or so, and he said to Dr. Einstein, you know, I think I could deliver that lecture. And, you know, Einstein thought about it. He's kind of intrigued with the idea, and he thought, you know, more than likely uh, most of the people at this college didn't really know what he looked like. And besides, the chauffeur actually kind of looked like him. And so the Albert Einstein put on the chauffeur's, you know, outfit. And, and the chauffeur put on Dr. Einstein's suit. And he walked in uh, to the auditorium with Dr. Einstein's note. And then he stepped up to the podium. And he just delivered, you know, the lecture flawlessly. And after the lecture, the dean of students of the college came walking up, and he said, that was a wonderful speech, Dr. Einstein. Now I would like to open the floor up for questions. And, of course, the chauffeur just freaks out, and he kind of panics. And, and immediately, a young man's hand shot up, and the dean of students recognized the young man. And as it turns out, the young man asked really a, a very difficult question. And, and so the chauffeur paused for a moment, and then he thought, and then he said, you know, that is the silliest question I have ever heard. I mean, you should be embarrassed for yourself for asking that question in front of your peers and in front of all of these professors here. In fact, that question is so silly and so simple, I'm going to ask my chauffeur to answer the question. <laughs> and Dr. Einstein came up and answered the question. Now, that's what you call a wise man, right? That's what you call a smart person. And that's what we're looking for. In fact, we're starting a new series on the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be talking about getting wise and, and being wise. So I've entitled the message this morning, What Everyone Needs. What Everyone Needs. Lord, I do enjoy humor, but yet the study word embark upon is so critical for this country. And for the church in America, we have lost our way. And we're going to see why we've lost our way in this study. And so I just, you're welcome here, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would even come in a more profound way. Much of what will be spoken, some of it will be funny, but some of it will really be cutting because it's true. I ask that there will not be a spirit of offense here but rather soft hearts to receive your word, ears to hear. And maybe this will be a defining moment for many of us here, maybe this congregation. So I ask, as always, that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, and the words that I would speak would truly not be my words, but yours. For we need a word from you in this hour. And Lord, we are not remiss in forgetting what has happened in Houston and what is now happening in Florida. And we lift them up. We ask that you would give these people wisdom in a very difficult situation. 
we ask that our country would be merciful to each other in helping one another. And so our hearts go out to them. And we just ask, Father, for great mercy on that situation. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to embark this morning on one of the most practical sections of Scripture. This book right here. It's called the Book of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs is actually what we call wisdom literature. And, And like it's already said, God knows, wow, this country, we need wisdom. His church needs wisdom. Now, I don't, you know, want to be fair to the world. It's not totally bereft, you know, of wisdom. In fact, wisdom can come from the strangest of places. For example, uh, that great theologian, Bill Gates. Skip, can you put up his picture? There he is, Bill Gates. He's the uh, founder and he is the chairman of Microsoft. And uh, some years ago, he was actually giving a commencement speech at Harvard University, and in part of that speech, he gave the graduates 11 rules for succeeding in life, and you might find these 11 rules kind of interesting, so here we go. Rule number one, life is not fair. Get used to it. Rule number two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The world will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Rule number three, you will not make 60000 a year right out of high school. You won't be a vice president with a car phone until you earn both. Rule number four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. Rule number five, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule number six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Rule number seven, before you were born, your parents weren't near as born as they are now. They got that way by paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you thought you were. So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try cleaning the closet in your own room first. Not too shabby. Rule number eight, your school has done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they have abolished failing grades, and they'll give you as many times as you want to get the right answer. That doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Rule number nine, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and and very few employees are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Rule number 10, television is not real life. In real life, people actually leave the coffee shop and they go to their jobs. And finally, I like this one, rule number 11, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. <laughs> now, you know, that's pretty sage advice from a person in this world, don't you think? And he actually got, you're going to see in this series, he actually got a lot of it out of the book of Proverbs. And so I found it intriguing. 3,000 years ago, the wealthiest man in the world at that time, he wrote a book. He wrote a letter on how to succeed in life, and we call it Proverbs. And, of course, the man I'm speaking about is none other than King Solomon. And King Solomon, when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he had three main purposes in writing the book of Proverbs. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So, Skip, will you put up Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4? These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. So we have the author right there, not too difficult. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. 
These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So we get three purposes there in verses 2, 3, and 4. Now, verses 2, 3, and 4 are granted a little nuanced, but there actually is a difference between verses 2, 3, and 4. So in verse 2, we get the first purpose for Solomon and why he wrote the book. And one theologian kind of reworded verse 2 this way, to understand life and where it is going. In a word, the reason why King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs was so that we could get God's perspective on life. And let me tell you something, perspective matters. Perspective is extremely, extremely important. For example, someone once said, if, you, if your only tool is a hammer, you will tend to see every problem in life as a nail. Some of you might want to think about that. Many years ago, USC, a perennial football powerhouse, they lost 51 to nothing to Notre Dame, also a perennial powerhouse in college football. And when Coach John McKay, who was the coach at that time of USC, went walking into the locker room of his players, of course, he saw them all sitting there. Their heads were down. They were defeated. They were dejected. I mean, they weren't used to getting, you know, ravaged 51 to nothing. So, I mean, what are you going to do as a head coach when you see your team like that? Well, I'll tell you what Coach John McKay did. He got up on the bench and he said, gentlemen, let's keep this thing in perspective. There are 800 million Chinese who have no idea that the game was even played. <laughs> now, see, that's perspective. That is the power of perspective. And, you know, all too often, though, our perspective is a worldly one. Not a godly one, but a worldly one. And as a result, we make bad decisions. Your perspective is extremely important. If you have the wrong perspective, you will make bad decisions. For example, you know, legend has it that after Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he actually contacted a consulting company. And the reason why he contacted the consulting company was to help determine which of the disciples had management potential. Legend says that he received a letter back from the consulting agency that went like this. From the Jordan Management Consultants, Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have uh, now taken our battery of tests, and we now have not only run the results through our matrix of management potential, but also have arranged personal interviews for each one of them, with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of the test are included, and you will want to study each one of them very carefully. As a part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultations and come without any additional fee. It is in the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for a persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The true brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas, he demonstrates a questioning attitude that would undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Business Bureau. 
James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and both are registered high on the manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, though, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, needs, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in very high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas of Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new adventure. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. You see, worldly perspective, wrong decisions. Godly perspective, right decisions. And I want you to understand, too often, there's a huge difference between God's perspective and this world's perspective. God's wisdom versus this world's wisdom. God is concerned with testimonies. The world is concerned with titles. God is concerned with character. The world is concerned with accomplishments. God is concerned with who you are becoming. This world is concerned about where you are going. God is concerned with why you do something. The world is concerned with what have you done. God is concerned with the size of your heart. This world is concerned with the size of your bank account. God is concerned with how many lives you have built into. This world is concerned with how large of a house you have built. God is concerned with the eternal. And this world is concerned with the temporal. Now in verse 3, we see the second purpose as to why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Skip, can you put it up? Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. The second reason why Solomon wrote Proverbs is, do you understand he wants you to be successful? God wants you. He wants me to live this life well. You know, some time ago, a pastor was talking to a man who was in his 40s, and the man was whining, and there's nothing worse than some guy in his, you know, his 40s who's whining about life. And this guy was whining about how he, he really felt that God had it in for him. And, and so the pastor, you know, said, well, why don't you tell me what's happened? And the guy, you know, proceeded to tell him what was happening in his life, and every chance he got, he was indicting God, you know. It was God's fault for why he was where he was, and So after the guy finished, the pastor said, do you mind if I just ask you a few questions now for clarification? And the guy said, sure, go ahead, shoot. You know, the pastor said, first you said, you know, know that your wife is a terrible, horrible, very bad person. Let me ask you this. Was your wife, when you were dating her, was she a terrible, horrible, very bad person when you were first dating her or when you first got married? Or perhaps, you know, things changed. Did you really love her like you should love her? Did you really cherish your wife like you should cherish her? Were you faithful to her? Or did you do some dumb, selfish, and stupid things that probably led to the demise of your marriage? And, you know, the man thought for a moment, he goes, to be honest, I've done some dumb, stupid, and selfish things, and I probably had a large part in why our marriage fell apart. And then the pastor said, you know, you said you're over $40,000 in debt. And you said that you're in trouble with the federal government with your taxes. And, you you know, do you really believe that it's God picking on you for that? Do you think maybe you have a spending problem? Do you think that you spend more than you earn? 
Have you ever bought things foolishly and on impulse that's created this financial problem? And again, to the guy's credit, you know, he thought for a moment and then he sheepishly said, you know, both my wife and I, we've never really stuck to the budget. And to be quite honest, we both bought things that are kind of foolish and they're kind of on impulse. And then finally the guy said, you know, you, you said that you're trouble, having trouble getting a job, that no one will hire you. And you said, this proves that God is picking on you, that he's really against you. Let me just ask you this. You know, in the previous jobs that you had, were you a model employee? In fact, if I were to call up your last three employers and ask them about you, would I hear something like, wow, ever since so-and-so left, you know, we've been hurting. In fact, I just want you to know, ever since so-and-so has left, we haven't been able to replace him. And the guy put his head down. And he said, you know, to be honest, I was fired from my last job. In fact, I lost my temper on several occasions, and I once told my boss where he could go eternally. And then the pastor, listen to what he said. God bless this guy. Got to get to know him. He said this to this guy. I don't think God singled you out. For special suffering. And I think you are being less than honest with yourself for blaming God for all of your problems. The Bible says if you sow folly, you will reap heartbreak. It seems to me that you have sown plenty of folly in your life and now you are reaping heartbreak. Like I said, God bless that that pastor for telling that man the truth. And I apologize too often We stand up here and it's so easy to tell you what you want to hear and it doesn't help. Truth is what helps. That pastor loved that man, by the way. And you know what? I don't think that man is the only one that has sown some folly right now. My guess is if we're all honest right now, we've probably all sown some folly in our lives. And, you know, not too long ago, I I read something, it was, and I don't know who wrote it, but it's great. It's entitled An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters, and it goes like this. Now listen to this thing, all right? Chapter one, I walk down the street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, I am lost, I am helpless. It isn't my fault, it takes forever to find my way out. Chapter number two, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in it. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter number 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter number five, I walk down a different street. Now see, no, no, see, that's wisdom. See, and, and that's what Solomon wants to give us. He wants us to start walking down a different street. And so if you begin to really read Proverbs and you begin to imbibe it, we learn to walk down a different street so that we can live this life successfully. All right. Well, finally, I want to get to the third reason why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Verse 4, Skip, put it up. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Now, the simple here refers to people who are innocent, or we might say somewhat naive, 
about life. And what Solomon is really saying here is if you and I begin to study the book of Proverbs, we're going to gain a thing called common sense. Now, you know what the problem with common sense is? It's not so common anymore. No, in fact, in fact, there's a bumper sticker out, and I, I need to get this. Common sense is so rare these days, it should be classified as a superpower. Skip, put up the picture. Some of you may need to think about that for a while. You'll catch on. You'll catch on. Now, now we laugh about that, but, you know, that just, as a person, that just lacks common sense. But there's a lot of people that lack common sense. In fact, you know what's amazing about this country? We have so many college students now who are in debt. I mean, there's 50,000, 100,000. We have, I mean, we're educated into stupefaction, but we don't have common sense. We just simply do not have, I mean, common sense is extremely important. You know, kind of in closing, as we move towards the challenge, I just want to give you a true story about just how important common sense is. In fact, the story I'm going to tell you actually made the newspapers many, many years ago. Uh, Everyone kind of knew this story, and maybe you'll even remember this story. But the story is about two twin sisters that were born, and uh, they were a little premature. And so the doctor said that they should go into separate incubators. And immediately, one of the daughters, one of the little baby girls, began dying. In fact, they did not think that she was going to live. Thank God for a nurse. I mean, there was one nurse that actually had common sense. And she began to argue with the administration. And she said, you know, you need to put those babies together. And here, now, now here was her thinking. Listen to this. She said, you know, when the babies were in the womb, they were together. And they need to be together now. And so the administration, she won. They actually listened to her. And they were shocked at the results. Skip, put up the picture. This is the picture that was around the world. There you see the healthy baby on the right. And the little, the little sister put her arms around her dying sister. And you can check this out. You can check this out. Within hours, her heart began to stabilize and her temperature rose to normal. They are two healthy girls today. That is the power of common sense. You didn't need an education for that. That was just simple, plain common sense. And what Solomon is telling us here, and so I'm going to challenge you again. You know, you say, well, that, 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 that seemed pretty easy, but it wasn't pretty easy. I mean, doctors aren't stupid. Well, I won't say, okay, no. My sister's a doctor. She's, she's pretty smart. But education doesn't mean necessarily that you have common sense. Solomon wants to give us common sense. The book of Proverbs will help you and I to have common sense. And so the challenge is this. I'm going to challenge you to enroll in the school of wisdom. I'm going to challenge you to begin to read the book of Proverbs. If you haven't, I want you to start. That's what we're going to begin doing now. A chapter a day keeps the doctor away. Seriously, a chapter a day. You are going to be amazed at what happens, how smart you're going to get. People are going to wonder after after this study, they're going to go, how did you get to be such a genius? Book of Proverbs is going to do that. Book of Proverbs is going to do that. So I'm going to challenge you to enroll in the school of wisdom by beginning to read a chapter out of Proverbs 
a day. The second thing I'm going to challenge you to do is I'm going to challenge you to get involved in a small group. Small groups are going to be kicking off. In fact, there's a list over there. And many of our small groups are going to follow what we're doing on Sunday morning. See, I can only hit the surface, kind of the high points. But we want to talk about it a little more in depth. How can we really apply this wisdom to our lives so that it makes a difference? You know, God really does want you and I to succeed. And he's given us the book of Proverbs for that reason. So if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a small community, this is your time to really catch on. And so all there is, is Tom Patterson. He's a tall guy. You can't miss him. And, you know, he will be standing there. There's a sheet. All you got to do is just put your name down right now and say, you know, it's just telling us that you want to be in a study that's going to help you in the book of Proverbs. You want to be with fellow Christians. You want to be challenged in the book of Proverbs. So just want to, that's the second thing, and I just want to lay that out to you. I know I beat this thing like a drum, but I'm going to tell you over and over again, people say, well, I wish we were like the early church. Do you know the difference between the early church and the church now? It's not that they were smarter, but they were, had more common sense. You know why? They met every day. It's right. Acts chapter 2. They met every day. I played sports. Can you imagine me? I, I say it, you know, we get it. I, I've said it over and over. Can you imagine me going to the coach and say, you know, you are so fanatical about this practice thing. I cannot understand why we have to practice every single day so that I can start. I'll tell you what, coach, I want to practice once a week and then I expect to start. How's that going to work? Nobody says fanatical. In fact, we, you know, we applaud these athletes who work five, six, seven hours a day to perfect their game so that they can start. We don't say fanatical. And what? What? So some guys are wearing tights and a helmet and they can hit each other for a little a, a, a ball and get it over a goal line? Seriously. We're talking about our souls. We're talking eternity here. And we can't practice every day? Come on. This is the challenge. See, that's common sense. You know, I'm a football lineman. Even I could figure that one out. If I had a practice, no, if I had a practice every day to start in football, you want to be on the starting team of God? You want to be in God's hall of fame? Got to start practicing. Got to start being challenged. Lord, I pray we'll take very seriously. It was humor, but yet will take very seriously the call to be wise, to live our lives wisely. We only get one shot at this thing called life. And I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, as we just sing this last song, you'll be moving. I know you're here. You'll be moving and convicting us where we need conviction so that we can truly live. You want us to choose this day life. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. His name is Majestic, and certainly by the end of this series, we'll know it's Majestic and why it's Majestic name. If you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've never encountered his forgiveness and life-giving, Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you, we would love to talk to you about how you can know Jesus. And there'll be people up here that will pray with you. And we invite you to do that. Maybe you're still just checking things out. Sign up. Tom will be over there for 
uh, the study that we're going to be having, small groups that will be looking at Proverbs. Also, uh, high school, if uh, you're interested about what's going on in high school, we're very excited about the high school ministry here, and there's going to be a meeting in the fireside room um, after the service. We've got a lot going on. If you are a newcomer, then I'm really interested in you, and maybe you've just been coming here for uh, you know, a couple months. You're just wondering what Bethlehem Community Church is about and whether you really want to get involved and whether you're worried whether we're going to sacrifice chickens or not or anything like that. Well, see, you can learn about that right after, right after we're going to, and see, here's the deal, you know, we're going to serve food, so there'll be a lunch, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you about 50, 55 minutes and just, you know, it's a chance for me and some of the leadership to meet with you, answer some questions, and just let you know, you know, what's going on here at Bethlehem Community Church. And finally, if you're not doing any any of those things, you can help us pick up the chairs. That would be awesome. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, and may he give you a passion for wisdom. May he give you a passion for wisdom. God bless you and take care. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.